Welcome to today's meeting, November the 30th. Let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thank you for showing up today. The 12-step movement is compromises of men and women who decided to stop drinking and help others recover from the effects of alcohol, drugs, and wrong thinking, stinking thinking. We do this by reading meditation uh, written by other alcoholics that give us uh, food for thought for the day. Today, coming from Daily Reflections, is called Protection for All. The subject is understanding anonymity, anonymity, anonymity from page 5. This is our secret weapon. We know who's, who's new when we get them to read. They just get stuck and they think we're picking on them. I had a new person reading yesterday and all they were doing was reading the traditions <clears throat> And they said, why me? And on the sixth, seventh tradition, <clears throat> turned around and looked at me. You guys are picking on me. I had the same sensations when I first used to get mad. I used to read the uh, <clears throat> how chapter five, how it works. And I said, man, this is a lot of reading here. And they go, they're picking on me. So the, <clears throat> and you probably did too. Excuse me. Protection for all. Here we go. At the personal level, anonymity provides protection for all the members from identification as alcoholics, a safeguard often of special importance to newcomers. At the level of press, radio, TV, and films, anonymity stresses the equality in the fellowship of all members by putting the brakes on those who might otherwise exploit their AA affiliation to achieve recognition, power, or personal gain. Very clear cut, guys. No big deal when we talk about the virtues of Alcoholics Anonymous, but not adding our name. You know, what they're doing for the community is fine. Attraction is the main force in the fellowship of AA. The miracle of continuous sobriety of alcoholics within AA confirms this fact every day. It would be harmful if the fellowship promoted itself by publicizing through the media of radio and TV the sobriety of well-known public personalities who, who became members of AA. If these personalities happen to have slips, outsiders would think our movement is not strong and they might question the veracity of the miracle of the century. Alcoholics Anonymous is not anonymous, but its members should be. Beautiful, beautiful. And we do it for the new person when they come in because there's such a stigma or such a, a bad reputation. The alcoholic uh, lying on the side there, you know, you know, just with a word. I still have that problem with my relatives when one of their young ones is drinking and brawling and getting a DUI. I said, I tell them, you got to grab them by the hand and take them to the first three, four meetings. If you really care for that boy, take them to the meetings. Stay with them and uh, pay them if you have to, but get them in there, you know, so they can have some roughage in their hearts, planets, seeds of understanding. Um, but they look, their faces, you should see their faces, you know. And they're, 
sometimes having a drink right as I'm talking to them. You know, with dinner, of course, very, uh, very dignified. Glasses of wine. Everywhere I go, all family members are all toasting. It was very funny the other night on Thanksgiving. Uh, one of the granddaughters came out and said to my sister, the mom says, Grandma, which, which, which bottle should I, you know, the dark or the red? And the other daughter says, Ah, she doesn't care anyone to do. <laughs> and that was me. I'll take some ripple or, you know, uh, some port with my dinner. Thank you very much. All right, let's go ahead and move on here and read the little 24-hour book for November the 30th. Thank you so much for listening in. I appreciate your ears. This is about slips, AA thought for the day. We have slips in AA. It has been said that these are not slips, but premeditated drunks. Because we have to think about taking a drink before we actually take one. The thought always comes before the act. It is suggested that people should always get in touch with an AA before taking the first drink. The failure to do some, it's probable that they had decided to take a drink anyway. And yet, the thoughts that came before taking a drink are often largely subconscious. People usually don't know consciously of what made them do it. Therefore, the common practice is to call these things slip, slips. Am I on guard against wrong thinking? Meditation for the day. The eternal God is thy refuge. He is a sanctuary, a refuge from the cares of life. You can get away from the misunderstanding of others by retiring into your own place of meditation. But from yourself, from your sense of failure, your weakness, your shortcomings, whither can you flee? Only to eternal God, your refuge, until the immensity of his spirit envelops your spirit and it loses its smallness and weaknesses and comes into harmony again with his. Prayer for the day. I pray that I may lose my limitations in the immensity of God's love. I pray that my spirit may be in harmony with his spirit. All right, let's pray. There's a couple of things in here I'd like to touch on, but I want God's words to come through me so how do we do that let's go ahead and pray the uh, our father please our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Fernando, alcoholic. Two things that stood out right here on it. One, remember in the beginning, truth is very, um, <coughs> excuse me. Truth is like walking through the Grand Canyon and you got a mile-long plank, piece of wood, and the truth is that you cannot go down there because you almost lost your life. You know, very dangerous to be down there, especially in torrent seasons with down in the ground, you know, you fall into the Grand Canyon. I think there's a book written about a thousand people have fallen over of known people that have slipped, and they have all kinds of 
uh, especially jokers, people joking around, even um, uh, a guy joking around with a baby uh, carriage went right over. You know? um, so the point I'm making is that truth, you can imagine that down there is the slippery place down there is our, our 20 years of drinking, 10 years, 5 years. There's a big canyon in our subconscious mind. The truth is a plank that stretches across, and on the other side is ha- haven. Yeah, the other side is, is peace, joy, laughter, everything we can need, family, um, games, football games. We're playing in the grass, having a good time, a good life. And the truth is that we cannot drink alcohol. So we walk through the plank. The alcohol's down there. What am I saying? is that the subconscious mind has crevices, Grand Canyon uh, ravines, holes in us, that if we, we go around people, places, and things that are drinking, that are, uh, are high enthusiastic, that everything's going to be all right. Here, take a drink. You're only going through a phase. Uh, charismatic people, success, that's why the first tradition is so important to safeguard against us. The first tradition says, my common welfare comes first. Not anybody else's. I had enough experience in what the, what's down there in the Grand Canyon. My common welfare comes first. Personal recovery depends upon my unity to be in the midst of the AA room where it's safe. The truth is, I, I, I ran out of lives. I don't want to go down there no more. I'm, I'm glad I came out alive. And it's lurking subconsciously. So I stay away from people, places. I stay away from drinking places. I, I had a sponsee that kept going back and playing and drinking soda and playing uh, pool with the guys at the bar. I told him that there's there's spirits in the air. There's There's evaporated alcohol in the air that gets in your... It's like drinking when you go into an establishment with a sports bar, you know, and they have alcohol. It's just dissipating from every glass around you, from people's voices, from their breath. And all that stuff is falling on your skin and going right in there. And that's why it taps into your subconscious mind. Before you know it, you got a drink in your hand. How did that get here? How did that happen? Then the next day you wake up and you say, Oh, how did I get here? How did my clothes come out? Who's this next to me? And all that stuff. Right? And here you go again. uh, Back into the canyon. Okay, the second thing about us, our failures and weaknesses and sense of failures and shortcomings that we go, we retreat into our own sanctuary, our own subconscious mind, and we start attacking ourselves. The way to, to... we need a lot of failure in our laboratory, which is our life. What doesn't work? So what doesn't work, we start, we commune with our God, with a higher power, and then we start thanking Him for our mess-ups. That's the best way to learn the lesson of the mess-ups. In our own, try not to deny it. Bring God into it. Say, thank you, God, I messed up. I thank you, I drank. I thank you, I blew it. I thank you. I make a commitment to keep thanking him in my laboratory. Oh, what didn't work? 
Now I have I have enough AA power to know what's right and what's wrong. I have enough AA truth to understand which way to choose. And AA has my higher power is AA has given me the power to choose right and to do right. So the benefits of AA in, in the surrendered individuals is to have the understand what's right have the power to do right and choose right and sustain right. All right? All right, let's go ahead and... Uh, that was a heavy-duty dose again of the same basics that I keep talking about. Let's go ahead and finish this meeting with a moment of silence followed by the third step prayer, please. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those that would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Keep coming back. Thank you guys for showing up. Have a great day. Give them heaven. Grapevine Story, December 2017. Tradition 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever remind us to place principles before personalities. Another sister. How an uncomfortable situation caused her to remain anonymous became a beautiful opportunity to help. When I first came into AA, I lived in a small town. I was extremely embarrassed to have reached a place in my life where I discovered I was an alcoholic and was in AA. I knew that everyone in the town knew what went on in the Presbyterian Church at 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday. And I didn't want anyone to see my car there. As time went on, I realized that I had not even known where AA was until an AA member who took me to my first meeting showed me where it was. I began to understand that the members of the group protected my anonymity. It was up to me who knew I was in AA. Today, I trust my instincts whether or not to tell people that I am in AA. When I do tell people, it usually serves a good purpose. Our primary purpose, even when I don't see immediately that it's useful, later I learn how useful revealing my membership was. For most of my sobriety, I have carried AA's message into jails. When I was 20 years sober, my sister Mary Jane was killed by a drunk driver. It turned out that the jail that housed the drunk driver was the one I was taking meetings into so I wasn't able to do service work while she was there. Shortly after the drunk driver was transferred to a prison, I began my important 12-step work again. I had read in the newspaper that the sister of the drunk driver had also committed a crime and was now in our jail. One night, my friend and I were facilitating a meeting in the jail. I heard the story of my sister's death from the sister of the woman who killed her. In that moment, I was an alcoholic trying to help another alcoholic. 
a newcomer. I was not Mary Jane's sister. This particular newcomer came to several AA meetings while she was in this jail, and I was able to help her. Because of this experience, I got a new perspective on anonymity. The newcomer, regardless of who she was, deserved a chance to recover. And I deserved the chance to help her, which also helped me. Not only was my recovery enhanced, but it also helped me grieve. I got to see that the family of the drunk driver was suffering too. Alcoholics Anonymous offers me so many opportunities for a healing as long as I am willing to show up and do the work. Carol B. from Billings, Montana. Thank you, Carol. Our next story is called In Need of a Hug. This is from the section of Personal Stories. In need of a hug, a man with 10 months goes back to prison. His entire support system's gone. How would he stay sober? When I had 10 months sober, I went to prison. It was quite a culture shock. I had been going to AA meetings almost every day, and now I was locked in a prison that had one meeting a month. We could only have a meeting when one of the staff was willing to volunteer to sponsor it. When I was sentenced, the judge gave me time to get my affairs in order. On the positive side, I was returning to the same prison that I had been released from five years earlier. I say the positive side because I knew the prison's address and could have a great bunch of scriptures sent to myself there. I also brought all my books with me, the big book, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, and as Bill sees it. Walking back into prison was a shock. An old buddy of mine was in the yard, waving to me. I had friends who were still there. Some had never left. Others, like me, had gone out and came back in. I was scared. Not of being in prison, but about whether I'd be able to stay sober in prison. I had started to become this different person through working the steps. I wasn't sure if I could be a new person in prison. When I was first incarcerated, there was no mention of an alcohol problem. I was classified as a career criminal, a violent offender with a panel parole violation and a new charge. Nowhere did it say I was suffering alcoholic in need of a hug. I felt like I was losing my mind. It seemed all I could do was walk the track and pray. My entire support system had been ripped out from under me. There was an old timer at my outside home group who used to say the same thing every day. The kind of one-liners that sounds profound the first time you hear it, but after the hundredth time start to become annoying. As it turned out, his voice saying the same thing over and over again was all I could hear in prison. It was such a blessing. I started to calm down and had one of those aha moments in which I realized why God had me hear his voice saying the same thing over and over. Finally, my first grapevine came. I wanted to run to my cell and read it cover to cover. I forced myself to read just one story a day. It was my meaning in print. It was a daily life preserver. That's how my time went as I settled into my sentence. 
Every time I felt I was at the end of my rope, I get a grapevine or a letter from one of the people I meet since I gotten sober. I sometimes get a card that my home group passed around on hold on holidays with words of encouragement from members. I did and didn't know since getting out I walk signs I always sign cards when people pass them around. I learn how important they can be. Then the day came when we had our first AA meeting. I had told my buddy I was done with the old life. I also said I was going to AA. He figured I was just going through a phase. He said it, I was only doing it to look good for the parole board. It was pretty hard walking away from my friends in the yard to go to my AA meeting. In 1990, a friend from my old home group sent me the loner's newsletter. I wrote to the general service office in New York asking to become a loner. They wrote me back and said that I was not a loner, but a convict. They went on to tell me about the prison correspondence program. After getting over my resentment about their answer, I wrote and asked to have an outside member I could write to. They put me on a list of people waiting to get AA prison correspondent letters. I was kind of surprised. I thought people were always doing this type of service work. After a month later, I got a letter from a guy in Halfway House who needed someone to write to. I thought it was a funny situation. Here I was about a year and a half into my prison sentence telling a guy in a Halfway House about the program. When all else fails, work with another alcoholic. Soon after, I was shipped to another prison. When you move, they take all your belongings, give you a jumpsuit, and put you on a bus. We were dropped off in holding at another prison. I had been there before in population. We were locked in this holding dormitory with people from all over the country. We only got out to go to the mess hall. It was nonstop noise. After a few days, I felt as if I were losing it. I had no books, no phone numbers, and no mail. All I could do was pray. I would go to the bookshelf every day trying to find something to read. I always been an avid reader, and I could lose myself in a good book. The problem was the books in the holding were the ones no one wanted. After about a week, I looked at those unwanted books again. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw what looked like a big book. I, I kind of casually walked over and took it off the shelf. Sure enough, it was a big book. I went back to my bunk, clutching the book like a life preserver. As I opened it, I noticed the inside cover was signed. It had been sent to an inmate from a group on the West Coast in 1978. Now I was holding it on the East Coast in 1990. I knew that my higher power had brought that book to me. I thought of all the other hands it had gone through. When I finally got shipped out, I put the book back to pass it along for the next inmate. Who was going to need it? At my home group, I always vote to bring books into the prisons. Big books never go to waste. You can throw a big book on, out the window and you always hit a drunk in the head. <laughs> Luckily, the final prison I lived in was very open to AA and we had meetings every week, but it was the same handful of guys. 
We would get sick of telling each other the same story, so I asked the counselor if he would go be open to outside AA people coming in. He thought it was a good idea. I wrote to AA World Services again and asked if they could contact an area group who might be interested in helping us. Within a month, we had outside members coming in. It turned out a home group in the area had approached the institution when it was built and had gotten members approved, then never heard back until Word Services contacted them. For those who are interested in taking a meeting behind the walls, it's not necessary that you ever commit a crime. If you're an alcoholic and you're now sober, you have something to share, and you don't even have to know how to swear. Anthony C. from Fairport, New York. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Beautiful story. I've been to uh, federal prison. I had the FBI give me a call. I, Fernando Alcoholic. The federal prison uh, called me and asked me why I wanted to go into the prison. Uh, well, I said I wanted to take AA in Spanish. Quiero hablar alcoholico anónimo a los presos. And they approved me. They didn't, I thought maybe they were going to find something on my record. For sure, my fingerprints or something. But nothing came up. And uh, they allowed me to go to a federal prison in Castle Air Force Base in Atwater, where one of my sons was born. When I left home at 16 to go to work, I ended up up in that town, that area there. And I had a boy at 18. Uh... The point I'm making is they had seven, seven doors to get into that prison, federal prison. Um, in addition to uh, infrared ink on your wrist and with your ID and a picture, and you walk into this barbed wire mountain of a fence, a waste of barbed wire. You got about 25, 30 feet inward and then in a circle all the way to the top about 15 feet high full of the razor barbed wire the kind that works you know when you get stuck on it anyway uh, all the doors were opening automatically I say they had cameras on me and I walked I was by myself I walked in there to the prison was there a couple of times had Spanish meeting the guys in there uh, interesting they spoke English but they wanted to get out and do something different in Spanish. So we did the meetings in Spanish. Anyway, and then I went to uh, San Quentin uh, there, and the guys there told me to tell you something. They told me to tell you that they are listening. The guys in the back fooling around with court cards, they are listening to us. They are listening to honesty, sincerity. So just give them your pitch. That's all we can do is plant seeds. Anyway, um, let's move on. Our next story is from Karen M. from Weaverville, Texas. Weaverville. My feet stay right here, it's called. It was three days before my six-year-old, six-year sobriety birthday and I went back out. It took exactly three seconds to say, hell with it, 
and take that drink. I had pulled away from the program because my husband had gone back out and it got too uncomfortable to go to meetings, but not going to meetings just made me restless and irritable. And one day when I needed some relief, I downed a drink. I told my husband and when I came home from work, he greeted me at the door with a drink. He then threw me a surprise cake party for my sobriety birthday. Everyone else thought it was my real birthday. The next day after it was all over, my husband told me he thought it, I really was an alcoholic and that I should stop drinking. I told him that I didn't throw away six years to just drink one night. I had just begun. It took me two years to get back to AA, mostly because of my pride. I've been sober now since March 1987, and I try not to forget just how quick and easy it was for me to take the drink that day. I'm so grateful I came back. I try every day to keep my feet right here in AA. Karen M. from Weberville, Texas. Thank you, Karen. Okay. Uno más. One more story. This one is looking good. She kept up a good front as she drank down the liquor and ran from her emotional past. A couple of years after my first AA meeting, a friend and I were reminiscing. She had been there when I walked into the rooms for the first time. You didn't look like an alcoholic, she said. You look good. Yes, that's me, always looking good. As an only child raised with high expectations, I learned to excel in whatever was put before me. My parents were supportive of my schoolwork and I was a straight A student. I was active in church and took part in musical productions. Anything artistic was easy for me. I practiced hard at the piano and appeared last the plum position at my very first recital. I started school plays, I joined the band and excelled at that. Meanwhile, trouble simmered at home. There was always seemed to be an argument. I never knew what it was about and it never seemed to be addressed or resolved. I knew from an early age that something was very wrong with my father, that he'd been through something awful. I didn't know what, but I knew that when we were at home alone, he was angry almost all the time. Though never physically violent, he had a short fuse. He yelled and stomped a lot around the house. When I asked my mother about it, she said that it was my imagination. That's just the way he talked, she assured me. He'd be very hurt if he knew you complained. I talked to two friends and a few adults about the problem. They all agreed that I was mistaken. My dad was the sweetest guy they knew. It was clear that the problem was mine alone. I began to feel intense shame and anger. I couldn't even seem to reconcile my feelings with what people were telling me. It wasn't until I addressed my own alcoholism much later on that I finally figured out what the problem had been. My father was a white knuckler, a dry drunk with more than his share of past trauma. The hero of his large Polish immigrant family, he ran away from horrific childhood abuse and poverty to join the Navy. While his siblings descended into alcoholism and mental illness, 
He climbed the ranks and became a decorated pilot. He also developed what he later called a dependence on alcohol. When stationed in the South Pacific during World War II, the water was unpotable. Cases of beer arrived for the soldiers, but he stopped in the early 1950s because my mother wouldn't tolerate drinking. I didn't know any of that at the time. I did the best I could and just tried to stay out of his way. Eventually, I got to college away from my father's piercing glare and my mother's smothering emotional neediness, and I discovered alcohol for myself. I loved getting drunk. I loved it. Drinking to glorious excess was the most fun I ever had. At least three or four times a week, I drank until I saw double. I wanted to reach a separate reality every time. I didn't have to be perfect anymore. I could screw up and fall down. I wasn't responsible for anyone's happiness except on the weekends when my parents would visit. Then I hide all the evidence of my new lifestyle and put on a face until I could get rid of them. If my mother seemed happy and my father didn't get, get angry, I'd done in my job. Then back to the party. My taste for alcohol and for out, outrageousness was absolutely insatiable, insatiable. And through it all, I looked good. College done. I moved on to graduate school where I continued the pattern of drinking to oblivion every night and cramming for the test the next morning. I flunked my first oral go-round. I don't understand what's wrong with you, my major advice told me. My major advisor, you do just enough to get by. You're never here unless you have to be. Cracks had started to show, but on my second oral exam try, they reluctantly gave me the degree, and then I ran away from it all. I got married and spent several years at home drinking and smoking pot while my husband worked. At night, he'd come home exhausted, but I dragged him to parties. I had an affair, left my marriage, and went to work. No matter how drunk I'd been the night before, I showed up and did the job every day, no matter what I was called upon to do. It was exhausting. My affair fizzled. I couldn't fill up my emptiness with chemicals or anonymous sex anymore. I was suicidal, but my skill at keeping up appearances remained. Others had the option to admit weaknesses and ask for help. I didn't. Eventually, however, I made it through the door of an AA meeting. I heard a lot of things I didn't identify with. People had lost jobs, families, homes. Some had weary, lined faces with broken blood vessels. Many said their families and doctors had pleaded with them to stop drinking. My ex-husband was the only one who'd done that. No one else seemed to mind that I was the life of the party. But I was whipped, miserable, at a complete dead end. At that first meeting, I also heard, your bottom is whenever you had enough, and you don't have to take the elevator all the way to the basement. That was 26 years ago. AA gave me a program for living by turning my intention inward, clearing out my emotional wreckage, showing up at meetings and helping others. I truly have discovered a new peace and a new happiness. Through my daily reprieve from the fog of alcoholism, 
I've been given the gift of thinking clearly and seeing multiple possibilities in any situation where people there was only one. Avoid everything with alcohol. And I learned that there aren't any bad guys, just people, flawed people, like we all are, trying to do our best. Today, life is rich and multidimensional, and I gotta say, it's looking good. Carol is from Mountville, Tennessee. Okay, let me back up a little bit. I'm gonna read the last paragraph. Through my daily reprieve from the fog of alcoholism, I've been given the gift of thinking clearly and seeing multiple possibilities in any situation. Okay, that's where I probably messed up. It says, I've been given the gift of thinking clearly and seeing multiple possibilities in any situation where before there was only one. Avoid everything with alcohol. And I learned that there aren't any bad guys, just people, flawed people like we all are trying to do our best. Today, life is rich and multidimensional. And I gotta say, it's looking good. Thank you, Carol S. from Knoxville, Tennessee. November 28, Limitless Love. Recognize your real enemy. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Ephesians 6.12 Have you ever wondered how Jesus was able to look at those who were crucifying him, the ones who mock him, spit on him, and sent him to death, and pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23-34 How was it possible in the midst of such suffering to respond in such love? Why wasn't he angry and bitter at the people for behaving so wickedly towards him? Because he knew those people were not his real enemies. Jesus walked in the spirit. He understood the spiritual realm is more real than the one which can only be seen with the physical eye. That's the realm where his true enemies, the devil and all his dynamic forces were operating. They were the ones pushing and inclining the people to cry, crucify him. They were simply using men as puppets to get their evil job done. So Jesus moved against them with the most effective weapon in the arsenal of heaven. He moved against them with the power of love. Had Jesus allowed Satan to pressure him into responding in bitterness and unforgiveness toward those who were crucifying him, the devil would have thwarted the whole plan of salvation. He would succeeded in getting Jesus to sin and disqualified him from serving as the spotless sacrificial lamb. But Jesus didn't fall into that trap. He recognized his warfare was not against flesh and blood, but against principalities powers, rulers of the darkness, and wicked spirits in heavenly places, and he won that war with the compassion of God. He won because he insisted of allowing himself to be moved by the emotions of the moment. He won because instead of allowing himself to be moved by the emotions 
of the moment he was moved by the Holy Spirit of God, who has compassion himself. As always, Jesus obeyed his Father, and thus he acted in love. But that was Jesus, you say. He had a direct line to the Father. I don't. Yes, you do. You have the ability through the same Holy Spirit that dwells in you to be moved with compassion just as he was. Romans 5, 5 says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. As we have to do this, all we have to do is to make the decision to be motivated by his love rather than our own human feelings. No matter how fiercely the devil rages against us, we can overcome him by wielding the weapons of the Spirit, not against the people who hurt us, but against the forces of darkness themselves, who can rise up as more than conquerors and win the victory with the power of love. With the power of love. November 25, you're supposed to be blessed today. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusted in him. Psalms 34, 8. Again, the scripture. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusted in him. Once you begin to see the word that God, God truly loves you, once your heart begins to grasp how good he really is, all you must do to receive the blessing is to simply trust his love. Trust him instead of fussing and worrying about the circumstances that threaten you. Trust him instead of trying to figure out how he's going to deliver you. Trust him instead of striving and struggling with those around you who are causing you trouble. Trust him completely with confidence that somehow he will get the blessing to you. That kind of childlike faith in God's love is the most powerful force on the earth. The devil can't defeat it. People can't stop it from working. It absolutely cannot be denied. Some years ago, Oral Roberts told the story of an 11-year-old boy who came to one of his meetings with that kind of faith. Oral Roberts didn't even see him until the meeting was over. By that time, he had laid hands on so many people, he was almost depleted of strength. As he was working, walking out of the building, however, the boy who was sitting with his crutches beside him happened to catch his eye. What are you doing here, son? asked Brother Roberts. The boy answered simply, I am supposed to be healed today. Sadly, old Robert began to apologize. I wish I could help you, he said, but I don't have the strength to pray for one more person. I don't know about that, the boy answered. All I know is I'm supposed to be healed today. Oral Roberts knew from experience that that kind of simple trust in God could do. So weary as he was, he laid his hands on the little boy and prayed while the boy believed and received his healing. The last time I heard, the young man had grown up and is still healed and whole. Just think what wonderful things God could do for us if we all trusted him that way. Imagine what miracles would happen if we shook off the complexities and questions that weaken our faith and simply expected God to do for us what he said he would do. 
Even the devil himself couldn't stop us from receiving the benefits of God's love when he threatened us with calamity or suggested God might not be able to come through for us at this time, we would answer much like the young boy did. We would say, I don't know about all that. All I know is that my father loves me and I am supposed to be blessed today. I don't know about that, but I know that my father loves me and I'm supposed to be blessed today. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Reading for today, November the 30th, Liveless Love, The Miraculous Realm of Love by Kenneth Copeland. Our scripture for today is John 14, 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. John 14, 12. Every true believer at some time in his life longs to walk in the realm of the miracles. Miraculous. He hungers to operate in supernatural power to fulfill the words of Jesus by doing the works that he did, and even greater works than these. He longs for that because it is the divinely ordained destiny of every born-again child of God. The Lord let me know years ago, however, that for us to step into that fullness of that destiny, we must first have a greater revelation of the love of God. He said to me, A revelation of my love is the highest revelation of the church because I am love. To have a revelation of love is to have a revelation, not of what God has or what he can do, but of God himself. That's why God is revealing his love as never before to his people today. The day of his coming is approaching and it is time for us to step into our destiny. I believe with all my heart that it is the revelation of God's love in the church that will usher the great resurrection. When the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me about this, he said, My people must learn to walk in love. They must realize that my love is alive and powerful, that fate works by love, and that in love there is no occasion for stumbling. They must be under they must understand. They can walk and be perfect in love before they can come to heaven and that as they do, that love will protect them. I want them to know the reality of my word that says, above all things, have a fervent love for one another. The great text of that scripture in 1 Peter 4.8 says, above all things, have a white hot love for one another. The Bible says that we are baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire, Luke 3.16. That fire is the all-consuming love of God. God's love will consume sin and death. It will consume the work of Satan and absolutely swallow it up. Today, there is a vast army of men and women who have made the decision to do the works of Jesus. They have committed themselves to live and walk in the realm of the miraculous. The love of God is the key to working in that realm. There are things available to us as we walk in the love of God 
that are not available any other way. In this day and hour, we as God's people are taking our rightful position, dedicating ourselves to God and renewing our minds with the word. We are setting ourselves apart from the carnal ways of the world and committing ourselves to walk in the love of God. We are moving toward our divine destiny through a revelation of God's love. And now, faith to faith for today, for November the 30th. This is Kenny Copeland. Abide in the Word. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done to you, unto you. The word abide is so important. When Jesus told us to obey his commandments and keep his word, he wasn't just telling us to follow a bunch of religious rules and regulations. He was telling us to allow his word, which is a living thing, to make its home within us. He was telling us to spend time with it, to meditate on it, to fill our minds and our mouths with it, and to let it guide our every action. The Apostle Paul put it this way, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Colossians 3.16. Most believers don't have any idea what that means. That's one of the reasons they're so short on power. Oral Roberts once said that when the word is really abiding in you, when it's alive and producing like it should, you can hear it. You know what it's like when you get a song in your mind and you just keep hearing it over and over inside you? Well, when you start abiding in the Word, you're probably going to hear it in much that same way. Many times I've been in desperate situations wondering what I was going to do when suddenly I heard a scripture down on the inside of me. Suddenly I knew exactly what the answer to my situation was. I'd be delivered by the word of God that was dwelling in me. So invite the Holy Spirit to go work on your behalf. Just keep telling him, whatever you bring to my remembrance from the word is exactly what I'm going to act on. I'm going to be obedient to every command of Jesus that you bring to my mind. Make a quality decision to abide in the word. You'll soon discover that the word is abiding in you. And scripture reading for today is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Let me go ahead and read that to you because I can. I'm in the position and you're probably driving or doing something else. So I have the time to do it. All right, Colossians. Was it 3? Quickly, we forget, huh? 1 through 16. Let me check that again. Yep, chapter 3, verses like John 3, 16, right there.
Okay, so if you're, this is the Message Bible. So if you're serious about living in the new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground. Absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is you. Your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of death, sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is going, God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But you know better now, so make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom-made by the Creator with His label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncout, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dressed in the wardrobe God picked out for you, compassion Kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive and offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing and cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct, instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail of your life, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master, Jesus. Thanking God the Father every step of the way. Beautiful, beautiful words of life. Reading from page 191, the book Praise Works. A 13-year-old speaks, I am 13 years old. I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit two months ago, but I didn't have any joy because I was letting my father depress me. My father is hard of hearing, and he has bad nerves, which make him talk continually. I couldn't ever talk to him. Was I ever blessed when I read Prisoner of Praise? It is the most inspiring book I have ever read. 
Thanks to you, I'm thanking God for a father like mine. It works. The situation is so much better. I am so grateful. Thank you for the great help you have given me. May God bless you and keep you. The author comments. I do thank the Lord for the remarkable ease with which children often step into a life of praise and thanksgiving. I urge you to tell your children about the wonderful joy there is in praising God for every difficulty. There may be able to help you put into practice what you already believe. The children may be able to help you put into practice what the whole household already believes. From the lips of the children, you have ordained praise, Psalms 8-2. Our next story is entitled, My Husband Died. A short time ago, I read Prisoner Praise and Power in Praise. They have been such a blessing to me, and I want to share my experience with you. Last Christmas evening, my husband, the husband of a dear Christian friend, were killed in an airplane crash, two of them. The accident remains a mystery, but God in his mercy has given us many indications that this was part of his wonderful plan. My husband loved the Lord with all his heart and served him faithfully. His home going made a strong impact on many who needed to make a decision for the Lord. We praise him for this. Our children are ages 12, 10, 9, and 6 continually grow stronger in the Lord. Through our loss is great, our blessings and cause for praise far exceed our loss. When we keep our eyes on Jesus, your, your books have helped me conquer a great battle. My husband had been flying a private plane, and I had a secret fear of his flying. After the Lord took him, Satan began to cause me to be bitter and to question why, especially when I would see or hear a a small plane overhead. I would become tense and began to grieve again. I knew this was wrong and I had to have the victory over it. After reading your books, I thanked and praised the Lord for the airplane. Now, whenever I see a plane, I take it as an opportunity to praise the Lord. I ask him to keep using that, the wonderful testimony that my husband had. It does work. Satan efforts to fill me with bitterness has been defeated through the power of praise. The author comments. Many people allow the death of a loved one to make them bitter. When this happens, they influence everyone around them without wanting to. A parent can cause children to resent God. The tragedy of doing this is beyond our power to comprehend. Then we lose our loved one. It is essential that we turn our loss over to God and trust that he is working in our lives. He will bring forth a beautiful plan for the care and guidance of those left behind. Satan could take your doubt, fear, and frustration and use them to work havoc. But through your faith, God can and will do many wonderful things. Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his signs. Psalm 116.15 Our next letter is called, A Bill Collector Speaks. I'm so happy, I'm giddy. God is truly blessing me and using me in a wonderful way. I feel clean and beautiful inside. 
all because he loves me. I gave my employer, Prison of Praise, he told me how much he was enjoying your book, but could hardly believe all the miracles in your life. My reply was, yes, isn't it wonderful? He knew of the hardship I have been having in the past. His attitude has changed, and he thinks God is using you in a wonderful way. I told him I had been witnessing to our clients. He said that if I wanted to witness to them to take them into the front booth and take my time with them. Before he read your book, I'm sure he wouldn't have liked me doing that. Every day has been full of joy. Every time I give one of your books away, I'm filled with joy. I just seem to bubble over. Right now, I want to jump up and down. This afternoon, a client's grandmother called to plead that I stop a attachment against her grandson's wages. I wouldn't budge until she said, we will have to trust in God. I have put prisoner praise in the mail to her and another copy to her grandson. My comments. Too many people try to keep their faith in Christ outside their business life. If a business is such that we cannot let Jesus be part of it, then I believe we're in the wrong business. The writer of this letter has experienced the joy of letting her testimony minister in her everyday life. He has promised to honor us as we honor him. He will keep his promise. The Lord declares, those who honor me, I will honor. 1 Samuel 3.20 NIV A Prisoner Witnesses I am serving a two-ton, two-ton, I am serving two ten-year sentence for drugs. I know that God brought me here so I could be freed and find him. I was born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit one year ago. Here in prison, as I read Prisoner Praise, I have been praising the Lord ever since and working for him, telling everybody the good news. The Lord has used me to win two converts so far. We are working together in the Lord to try to bring more convicts to Christ. We need your prayers. It is true that when you thank and praise God for everything that happens, he blesses you and fills you with joy. I thank God and praise him for bringing me here so that I could find him. My comments. I, I, I ask you to join me in prayer for all those who have accepted Christ while in prison. The number is rapidly growing. Please visit the men and women who are in prison. Take books that will lead them to accept Christ. God has already promised to reward you. When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of these least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Matthew 25, 34, 39 to 40. A child speaks. I will be 13 to 26 of this month. Last night I read Prisoner of Praise and found it wonderfully helpful, wonderfully helpful. I told God that I would try to praise him in all things. 
At certain parts of your book, I stopped and praised God that I had a chance to read your book. Sometimes there would be tears, and I knew God was trying to tell me something. I don't understand it all, but I believe. My comments. Often it takes the simple faith of a child to comprehend the deepest spiritual truth. When we believe something that we do not understand, we demonstrate the faith of a little child. The intellect nearly always wants to override the spirit, and it is the intellect that gets us into trouble. Our spirit has the potential of coming into harmony with God's Holy Spirit, and it is to our spirit that God is now releasing a new understanding of the victory that comes to us as we enter into a life of praise. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never Enter it. Luke eighteen seventeen. Our next story is called A Beautiful Diamond. I read Prison of Praise. It was beautiful. In some parts I laughed and in some I cried. In writing to you because I need God's help, first let me explain my life. I had sex with my cousin when I was only nine years old. I married when I was 13, got pregnant one month later, and was separated after four months. I was going with the other boys even when I was married. My husband was still married to another woman. After I was married, I had sex with married men and with my husband's uncle. I even had it with children, for which I am shamed. I went to bed for money once with a woman. I stole and smoked pot. Once I lived with several men and boys at the same time. Surprisingly, most people didn't seem to know what I was doing. Everyone thought I was just pretty and a good girl. I know now what a dirty life it was. I caught syphilis. I've taken shots, but it's still in my blood, and I worry about it. I married again at 14, but we were separated only after one month. When I found out that he was a homosexual, I married again at 23 and at the same time went out with three other men. My third husband divorced me last year. He then married his fourth wife. After my divorce, I began drinking terribly, cussing all the time, and finally got an ulcer from the way I was living. I was drinking so much that the doctor said it would kill me if I did not stop. I had never been in love with a man but would live with one for a month or so and then leave him. I stayed with one man though for a year drinking about 18 cans of beer a day until I was too tired to drink anymore. A few weeks ago I was admitted to the hospital because of a bad blood clot in my leg. Just before my trip to the hospital a man came to all the apartments in our building. He wanted to have a Bible study with us. I laughed at his face. When I got back from the hospital, a neighbor gave me a copy of your book, Prison to Praise. It changed my way of thinking, and I began to want God in my life. I telephoned the man who wanted to have the Bible study, and he came to see me. I had a wonderful time hearing about the Bible. Although I had been serving Satan, I had a deep-down feeling that I belonged to God. I would not play games with him because I knew that would be wrong. Thursday, after the Bible study, I prayed. 
I asked God to remove the devil from me like you had prayed for the woman in your book. I asked him to let Christ and the Holy Spirit into my body. While I was praying, my feet became numb as something was drawn up through my body. My chest was so tight I could hardly breathe. Something seemed to come out of my throat and almost choke me. All the time I was still praying and crying. I went blank as I kept repeating, He has accepted me. He has accepted me. God has accepted me. I came to myself crying and saying, God has accepted me. I felt so beautiful and happy, but I still have problems. Sometimes I feel that God has not forgiven me. I did so many terrible things. I prayed to love God and his children, to really love them. I prayed not to hurt anyone with words or talk about anyone. I prayed to love those who do things to hurt me and to forgive them. I want to love God and have faith and work for him. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be ever thinking of my Savior and my Heavenly Father. Please pray for me in Jesus' name. I do believe. I do believe he will help me. Maybe I don't have enough faith. The Lord knows. I don't know what it is. I am thanking him just as you said in your book. I do not question why. I just thank him. My comments. It was a great joy to have the opportunity to pray with this woman in person. It was a most thrilling thing to see her being filled with the Holy Spirit. The life that had already been so dramatically changed was changed even more. Her past life was immediately put to good use. She knew many people who were downtrodden and filled with sin, and she understood them. Her love for people was overwhelming. Her days were spent in witnessing and telling people what Christ could do for them. There was a magnetism about her testimony that drew people to Christ. The old hardness was gone and a new radiance shined all around her. Many people accepted Christ because of her testimony and many are still being drawn to the Lord. It is easy now to thank God for everything he permitted to happen in her, in her life. He took a crude, crude lump of coal and refined it into a beautiful shining diamond. God will, throughout eternity, hold her up as an illustration of what his son Jesus has done for a human being. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Praise the Lord. Our next story is called Praise the Lord. Your books have been a great blessing to me. The Lord has helped me learn to trust him. After my second daughter was born, I had a real battle with postpartum depression. I never wanted the child as I had my own ideas of when we should have another baby. My husband was very patient through my pregnancy and stayed by my side even in the delivery room. We were having many financial difficulties and though we could hardly feed ourselves, my husband was constantly giving to others. 
Well, you can imagine the fit this unsurrendered Christian through. Our second daughter was a cranky baby, and I was cranky right back at her. Her sister was never like that, and I had pride myself on having such a good child. My husband said our first child was so good because we love her so much, and our youngest could be too if we would love her. I would never harm her, and every now and then I mustered up some motherly love. I even prayed that Christ would love her through me, but I didn't really love her myself. When my husband left me, I had peace, but I didn't praise God for the situation. As I asked God to guide me, I understood some of the reasons why my husband left. I confessed them to God, but oh, so righteously, I knew I must do something. When I read your books, the very instant I began reading, I got a blinding headache and tightness in my chest as if all my sins were coming to a head like a boil. I always had a head knowledge that my situation was for good, but never a heart knowledge. I realized for the first time that God had let me, let my husband leave before I could do anything more to hurt him. I praised God for that in thankful confession. I began thanking him for everything, even the endless rounds of dirty diapers. I count, I can't figure out their good, but I know in my head that even dirty diapers have a purpose, so I am thankful. My husband still isn't home, but I have peace that soon he will be. I know I can't divorce him as I planned. I must love him with Christ's love. I pray for him and ask for forgiveness, his forgiveness. I rest assured that this family will be united again in God's good time. Not, not when my husband has changed, but when I have been changed and am more thoroughly schooled in walking in the Spirit. Our baby is still a crab, especially now that she is teething, but to me she's a precious little crab. I love her with Christ's love, and that's all I need. My husband came to visit a wife, a visit a wife who praises God for dirty diapers, spilled milk, ruined makeup, and even vomiting on a freshly shampooed rug. I still don't feel overwhelmed, joy, at all my tasks, but I am convinced it's because my feelings have ruled me for too long. I have glimpses of that joy, and I am overwhelmed at the prospects. The cloud gets thinner every day. I am convinced that whole and healthy families are God's will. I am praying for just that and the patience to wait and the submission to praise Him without looking for a quick result. The headache and tightness have almost left. At any time, anytime I see God, I have a fight with Satan. Wouldn't it be great when He has to stay in hell? Isn't it great that Christ is in me? the final victory. Praise the Lord. My comments. This letter is a beautiful commentary on the wonderful power there is in praising God. So many families are torn apart by the great difference in human personalities. When one party or the other becomes overwhelmed by the stress of life, he is usually cut off from the joy that God wants to give us. This wife has discovered the wonderful reality that no matter what happens, God wants to work everything for good in our lives. The normal reaction is to blame everything on the other person. 
but she is learning to accept the changes God wants to bring in her own life. This acceptance is producing in her a peace that rebellion can never bring. Her recognition that praising God does not always bring instant results has contributed to her faith in God's working out his total plan. Too often people give a quick try at praising God and then flee back to self-pity when they think it hasn't worked. This wife has realized that often God permits a separation or even a divorce to save one of his children from destruction. A distressed husband or wife may be indulgent in over-possessive love by refusing to allow God to take care of the ones that he loves. If we truly love someone, we must be willing to let go and let God work out their life in whatever way he knows best, to trust. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret. Sounds like rain outside. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. And then he told us, uh, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid, nor be discouraged. For I, the Lord your God, be with you wherever you go. Huh. Isn't that crazy? We can sense him. He's here. We can. We know in our heart what's truth. Let us thank God for his great uh, construction of mankind and the world he created. And he told us uh, wisdom is praising and thanking God for his creation, for he is the creator. That's wisdom, honoring God, you know, for his great, uh, would you say, um, computation? We must believe that he is, and then he is a rewarder of us that we diligently seek him. That he is wise enough that he created all things and us, and he's living in the inside of us. He has given us the breath so that we can say, Praise the Lord, praise you, the Lord, for that wisdom. That's where praise the Lord comes from. Knowing in our innermost that he, he did all this so we can have fun and joy and love and not take the credit. That's the sin, trying to take the credit. Understanding is staying away from taking the credit. So we give. We God loves a cheerful, understanding, grateful that gives him praise and honor and we have an understanding and a respect. So we call upon the name of the Lord when we confront people that are taking all the credit, all the ego, are cashing in themselves to be their own God 
and to call attention to themselves by going against principal creation, principal things that we know are to be true. We thank him. Everything he asks us, we ask of him to help us out, and he comes through. He's helped us pay rent. He helps us get jobs. He helps us get families. He helps us stay healthy. He helps us put food on the clothes on our back. He helps us drink good water. He gives us a good immune system. And we know we have that love in our hearts of him. Once we have that love and the joy in our hearts, who he is, all I got to do is think of something and it shows up. If it's his will, right? If it's his will for me to have that, it shows up. So he, God sharpens my iron. He's my friend. He sharpens me with counsel and, and association. God is my counselor, my administrator. He sharpens me. And it begins with 80 grit sandpaper. I am a stubborn individual. And I have a God that has patience with me. And he's continuing to bring good work in me. And he is performing it. My job is to stop the resistance, the disbelief, and let go and let God. Now, that takes an engineering degree. We follow after his rightness, his goodness, his with love, faith, and patience. We rejoice in God and let God be. We demonstrate his omnipotence by giving him thanks. And the Lord at the same time will give us help. When we are good with the higher power, he sends even his angels and coincidence to show us that we're in the right place in the right direction. Taking direction from God, from angels, is almost like a little string of wax that it will break very easily. So by my faith, by my respect and, and uh, compassion, I have to follow the, the instructions, the little instructions that someone may give me, and I can judge it and blow it out of the water. But it's a direct linkage to my prayer, to an incredible amount of, uh, of benefits. That's the way it's been with me, folks. Let us rejoice and be glad that we're getting direction and where we should work, where we should live. Um, what, who we should help. That in itself is a mystery. And everybody it has the same question mark in the head. But King David says... Be strong and wait on the Lord. Huh. Be courageous and wait on God. Huh. Isn't that something? He'll give you the enthusiasm, the joy, the laughter. And the resources to enjoy Him. God gives us the resources to enjoy Him. 
Not like the old days. As soon as I would get resources, I'd go out and uh, and live dangerous life by drinking and brawling. And pride would give me a wrong ride. It would get me into destruction, into a fall, setbacks, setbacks. Humility is being wise. To me, humility is just being wise. It's understanding that we've been created. And God has put his smile in us. He's put his His joy in our eyes and our hearts and peace. We are believing. We're abounding in hope. Through the power of the Holy Ghost, we're abounding with joy and peace and believing. That's the way to go, folks. I chose, and I ask you to be good. I choose to be good, to enjoy the God of my understanding. And this is the Lord's purpose that prevails, that that we enjoy Him and rejoice in Him. He knows the, the plans of our hearts, and He moves us with activities and joys and laughter and there's good cheerfulness because that's in the presence of God that's what cheerfulness is all about fullness of joy pleasures forevermore is God's wisdom interesting things there's so many interesting things that we don't have enough time to go through it And we speak with honest words. We speak with enthusiasm. We speak with life-giving words that stir up the inspiration in others. That love will prevail. Choosing good is the, is, will honor the Father if we choose good. I choose to accept and I choose to be good. And then all these things start working for good for me. Because I choose the, the goodness of God, the love of God, according to His purpose, that I should do that. Nice sound of rain outside, huh? Let us call upon the Lord, and we shall be saved from our enemies. Psalm 18, verse 3. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So so shall we be saved from our enemies. Give them heaven, folks. God bless you. Enjoy the day. We are sowing righteousness. We are sowing good words. We are sowing a spectacular crop, a remarkable crop. As we meditate and listen to these words of life, remember with God, all things are possible. We are the farmers. We plant our own seeds in our own hearts. And we consider good words. And they take, they take hold in our hearts. Then with God, all things are possible. God has material to work with. Because it says he goes throughout the world looking for his word to perform it. 
With God, all things are possible. With us, planting seed in our hearts, that's what's possible for us. Getting on our knees and reciting uh, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Or the whole psalm, if you want. How does it go, you ask? It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? Starting with page 24. So let's go ahead and open it with the the set-aside prayer, please. (coughs) Lord, help me to set aside everything I think I know about you, everything I think I know about myself, everything I think I know about others, and everything I think I know about my recovery. For a new experience in you, Lord, for a new experience in myself, for a brand new experience in my fellow man, and a much-needed experience in my recovery, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's say the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Okay, I'll go ahead and start off on page 24. The fact is, that most alcoholics, for reason yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are un- unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. The almost certain consequences that follow <clears throat> taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hasty and rarely supplanted with the old treadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of that kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, so here's how. Or perhaps it doesn't, he doesn't think at all. How often have us begun to drink in this nonchalant way and after a third or fourth pound on the bar and say, There is a solution. Almost none of us lack the self-searching, the leveling our pride, the confession of our shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. 
but we saw that it really worked in others, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we have been living it. When therefore we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us to do but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have fallen much of heaven, and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we have never even dreamed. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we had had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, toward our fellows, and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and, and lives and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. Through a series of holidays, we were believers. There's no middle road solution. We are in a position where life is becoming impossible. And if we had to pass through a region over which, we, which there is no return, human aid, we have a two alternatives. One is to go to the bitter end, blind out the consciousness of an intolerable situation, the best we could, and the other is spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to, we're willing to make the effort. Uh, page 62, please. <clears throat> Selfishness, self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-illusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past we have made decisions based on self, which later place us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making, and they arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot. Though he usually doesn't think so, above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or he kills us. God makes that possible, and there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us have had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we cannot live up to them, even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying our own power. We had to have God's help. We as a father, we are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was a new, was the keystone to a new triumph of archery. We got some freedom. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of wonderful things followed. We had a new employer, all powerful, he provided what we needed, and we kept close to him, and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves. In our little plans of design, more and more became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life as we felt a new power flow, flow in and enjoyed peace of mind. As we discovered, we could not face life successfully, but we, as we became more conscious of his presence, we began to lose the fear of today, tomorrow, and thereafter, we were reborn. We were now at step three. Many of us said to our Maker, as we understood him, God. I offer myself to thee, to build with me, and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those that would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could at last, at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. Page 76, please. 
76, when ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. Page 86, please. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead before we begin. We consider our plans for the day. We ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is clear of wrong motives. In thinking about, go ahead. Where are we? Uh, we're at page eighty-six. Okay, in our day, we face this decision we may not be able to determine which course to take. Here's where we ask God for inspiration or thought or decision. We relax or take it easy. We go out and struggle. We are surprised how right the answers come after we try this for a while. But it used to be the hunch of occasional inspiration gradually becomes part more part of the mind. But being still and experiencing and having just made a conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we're going to be inspired all the time. We might pay for the presumption of all sorts of spirit actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we could never find out that, find that our thinking will be, as time passes, more and more on the plane of inspiration because we rely upon it. We usually conclude the period meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we, we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination, which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers, which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priests, Minister or rabbi, be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. As we go through the day, we pause and we entertain our doubtful. We ask for the right line <laughs> or action. Because we remind ourselves we're no longer running a show. Humbly say to ourselves, ourselves many times we say, Thy will be done. We, <clears throat> whoever then must have a standard of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self pity, or foolish decision, we come more and more efficient. We do not tire so easily. We are not bringing up energy foolishly as we were when we were trying to arrange our lives to suit ourselves. Uh, page 416, please. It helped me a great deal to become convinced that alcoholism was a disease, not a moral issue. That I have been drinking as a result of a compulsion, even though I have not been aware of that compulsion at that time, and that sobriety was not a matter of willpower. The people of AA had something that looked much better than what I had, but I was afraid to let go of what I had in order to try something new. There was a certain sense of security in the familiar. At last, acceptance proved to be the key to my drinking problem. 
After I've been around AA for seven months, tapering off alcohol and pills, not finding the program working very well, I was finally able to say, <clears throat> Okay, God, it is true that I, of all people, strange as it may seem, and even though I didn't give my permission, really, really <clears throat> am an alcoholic of sorts, and it's all right with me. Now, what am I going to do about it? When I stopped living in the problem and began living in the answer, the problem went away. From that moment on, I have not had a single compulsion to drink. Phew. Acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. What I'm <clears> disturbed <throat> is because I find some person, place, or thing, or situation being some fact of my life unacceptable to me. I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, or thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at that moment. Nothing absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept my life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to not concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world, but what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. Shakespeare said, all the world is changed, all the men and women are barely players. We forgot to mention I was true critic. I was also I was always able to see the flaw in every person, every situation. And I, I was glad to point it out because I knew he wanted perfection, just as I did. AA acceptance has taught me that there's a bit of good in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us. And that we are all children of God and we each have the right to be here. When I complain about me or about you, I'm complaining about God's handiwork. I'm saying I know better than God. For years, I was sure that the worst thing that could happen to a nice guy like me would be that I would turn out to be an alcoholic. Today, I find it's the best thing that has ever happened to me. This proves I don't know what's good for me, and if I don't know what's good for me, then I don't know what's good or bad for you or for anyone. So I am better off if I don't give advice, don't figure I know what's best, and just accept life on life's terms as it is today, especially my own life as it actually is. Before AA, I judged myself by my intentions while the world was judging me by my actions. Acceptance has been the answer to my marital problems. It is though AA has given me a new pair of glasses. Max and I have been married now for 35 years. Prior to our marriage, when she was a shy, scrawny adolescent, I was able to see things in her that others couldn't necessarily see. Things like beauty, charm, gaiety, a gift of being easy to talk to, a sense of humor, and many other fine qualities. It was if I had, rather than a Midas touch, which turned everything to gold, a magnifying mind that magnified whatever it focused on. Over the years, since I thought about Max, her good qualities grew and grew. And we married, and all these qualities became more and more apparent to me, and we were happier and happier. But then as I drank more and more, the alcohol seemed to affect my vision. Instead of continuing to see what was good about my wife, I began to see her defects. The more I focused my mind on her defects, the more they grew and multiplied. Every defect I pointed out to her became greater and greater. Every time, each, each time I told her... She was nothing. She reduced and would have been into nowhere. The more I drank, the more she wilted. Then one day in AA, I told I I was told that I had my lenses on my glasses backwards. To encourage to change my discerning pyramid, I should change my marriage. No, I should change my my what pyramid? Not that I should change my marriage, but I should rather that I should change myself and learn to accept my spouse as she was. AA have given me a new pair of glasses. I can then focus on my wife's good qualities and watch them grow, grow, and grow. I can do the same thing with an AA meeting. The more I focus my mind on its defects, late starts, long drunk a log, cigarette smoke, the worse the meeting becomes. 
But when I try to see what I can add to the meaning rather than what I can get out of it, and when I focus my mind on what's good about it rather than what's wrong with it, the meaning keeps getting better, better, and better. When I focus on what's good today, I have a good day. When I focus on what's bad, I have a bad day. If I focus on the problem, the problem increases. If I focus on the answer, the answer increases. Page 420, please. Perhaps the best thing for me to remember is that my certainty level is inversely proportional to my expectations. The higher my expectations of max and other people, the lower my certainty. I can watch my certainty level rise when I discard my expectations, but then my rights try to move in, and they too can force my certainty level down. I can I, I have to discard my rights as well as my expectations by asking myself how important is it really? How important is it compared to my spirit and my emotional sobriety? And when I place more value on the serenity and sobriety than anything else I can maintain it at a higher level, at least for a time being. Acceptance is the key to my relationship with God today. I never sit around and just do, and do nothing while waiting for him to tell him to. Rather, I do whatever for me that needs to be done and leave the results up to him, however it turns out. God's will for me. I must keep my magic and magnified mind on my accept, acceptance and off my expectations for my serenity level is directly proportional to my level of acceptance. And when I remember this, I can see I've never had so good. Thank God for AA. Page 552, please. He said, in effect, if you have resentment you want to be free of, if you will pray for the person or the thing that you resent, you will be free. If you ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. Ask for their help, their prosperity, their happiness, and you will be free, even when you don't really want it for them, and your prayers are only words and you don't mean it. Go ahead, do it anyway. Do it every day for two weeks and you will find you have come to mean it and want it for them. And you will realize that where you used to feel bitterness and resentment and hatred, you now feel compassionate, understanding, and love. It worked for me then and it has worked for me many times since and it will work for me every time I am willing to work it. Sometimes I have to ask first for the willingness, but it too always comes. And because it works for me, it will work for all of us. As another great man says, the only freedom a human being can ever know is doing what you ought to do because you want to do it. This great experience that released me from the bondage of hatred and replaced, replaced it with love is really just another affirmation of the truth I know. I get everything I need in alcoholic anonymous and everything I need I get, and when I get what I need, I am verily find that it was just what I wanted all the time. Page 100, please. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spirit and progress. If you persist, some remarkable things will happen. When you look, when you look back and we realize that the things that which came to us when we were putting ourselves in God's hand were much were better than anything that we could ever plan. Follow the decades of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new, wonderful world, no matter what your certain present circumstances are. A page 83, please. If you are pacing about this phase of development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through it. We are going to know a new freedom, a new happiness. We will not regret the past portion of the door. We will comprehend the words serenity. And we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others and that are useless 
and self-pity will disappear, and we will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our foes. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude toward upon life will change. Fear of people, economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle our situations which used to baffle us, and we just suddenly realize God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. <coughs> they will always materialize if we work for them. And page 85, please. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle fall. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from Him who has all knowledge and power. If we carefully follow His directions, we have begun to sense the flow of His Spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God-conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense but we must go further, and that means more action. Page 43, please. Once more, the alcohol at certain times has no effect on us, no defense against first strength, except for a few cases. Neither nor any other human being can provide such defense. This defense must come from a higher power. Dean, thank you very much. Beautiful. Thank you guys for coming in today. How are you, Anthony? Good, good. Good, All right, Tuesday, Tuesday. <clears throat> One day at a time. Yeah, any remarkable things happening out there? Um, there's a lot of fog. It's been <laughs> a while since I've seen fog. Really? Fogged up today, huh? Yeah. Well, I got to get out there, man. Make coffee for the meeting and get ready for the run the meeting. Well, I'm vacation relief on our meetings over there, so when the guys go places, I got to kick in. Anyway, have a great day, man. Good to hear from everyone, and thanks for coming in. God bless you, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Greetings. Uh, I'll be reading from Praise Works. Where we left off on page 206. This next letter is from a priest. I thank you. I thank you for the inspiration I found in reading Prisoner Praise. I am uncertain about many things myself. I'm often misled and end up in a dead end. I know God loves me, but I am discontented with myself and have a poor self-image. I feel resentful towards my peers jealous, afraid, uptight, and always seem to be running away from myself. I put up a front often of being other than I am, and I have a real battle with thoughts and imaginations. I was prayed over for the, for the baptism in the Spirit a while back by some Catholic Pentecostals, but I still bear these mixed-up feelings and really freeze. I'm afraid to open up. Your faith seems so strong that I'm encouraged to ask you to pray for me for a healing in these matters. 
I have a few hangouts with impure thoughts and desires. I am fearful of my feelings and fearful that I am not doing the Lord's work, feeling compelled to fail at times. I even doubt my calling. I don't feel my heart is in my life. Perhaps the devil is trying to trick me into looking too much for natural fulfillment. I need balance. I know I should praise God for myself, as confused as it is. I've been ordained many years and feel it's time for a conversion of heart. I need to be pushed in the right direction and to keep on going. I'm always afraid of souring the situation I am in. I think basically I'm afraid of women with all my imaginings, somewhat close to men, unhappy and unwilling to share, and I don't have enough discipline in my life. Can you help me? I seem afraid to live the, op the opposite of you, although you do share, rather you did share, my feelings about getting up in the morning. I really want to get Jesus across to people. I need his spirit, but I feel chained to myself and sometimes become too clerical and businesslike, dead in the word, like Lazarus in the tomb. I stink. Praise the Lord, he can raise me up. Please pray for a brother in need so that he can be numbered among those who have felt God's power working through him. Marilyn Carotter's comments. I have omitted from this letter details that might reveal the identity of this brother in Christ, including his letter to help you to see that problems are not limited to those who earn their living in the secular world. I also want you to recognize the great need there is to refrain from criticizing a member of the clergy who seems like Lazarus in the tomb. Men who recognize a deep spiritual need often do not know what to do about it. They should not be criticized, but loved, no matter how cold or how uninspirational they seem. Do not take for granted that his heart is satisfied to remain where he is, where it is. His letter reveals the deep cry that is often in the heart of a pastor as he longs to be of greater help to his people. Your love for him could be the very thing that will lift him out of a new dimension of praise. As God uses your love and kindness towards him to set him free from bondage, his potential for leading others to Christ will become much greater than before. I do not mean that you are a compelled to remain under the ministry of someone who is not building you spiritual life, but you can, as the Spirit leads you, minister to those God has brought into your life. You can go out of your way to express your love and concern for them, even when they do not seem to respond. I continue to pray for the priest who wrote this letter. I invite you to join me in prayer. One day we will hear that God has filled his heart with the joy he so earnestly longs for. Now glory be to God, who by his mighty power of work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even to dream of infinitely beyond our highest prayers and desires, thoughts, or hopes. Ephesians 3.20 Again, now, right now, let there be glory to God, who by his mighty power at work within us, within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even to dream of infinitely 
beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. Our next story is called In the Will of God. The letter starts, Thank you for your books. They helped me so much through so many trials and especially when other Christians act if terrible things were happening to me because I was out of the will of God. I felt so discouraged and as thought I had no faith at all. I felt so discouraged and as though I had no faith at all. Then I would read your books, begin praising God, and feel the joy of the Lord return. Lately, our prayer groups had teaching on binding Satan many times every day. Every time I get involved in these teachings, I feel fear coming back. When I know God has control of every area of my life, and I praise him and my fear disappears. My comments, says the author. Many people fix their attention on Satan. Our attention should be fixed on the one we are following. He is leading us out of where we have been into a new place. He does not want our attention in the past, but rather in his future for Jesus. On his future for us. Jesus is worthy of all our attention, all our praise, all of our love. Okay, let me back up a little bit. He is leading us out of where we have been into a new place. He does not want our attention in the past, but rather on his future. Looking forward unto Jesus. Jesus is worthy of all of our attention and praise and our love. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. The Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. The Lord is faithful, he, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Business fail, the next story. I started a business that I expected to be a big success, but I didn't select my three partners carefully enough. The business I knew and understood, the people, I don't understand them. One partner was slovenly and lazy. Another argue all day. The other stole everything he could sneak out the back door. Now tell me the truth. Do you think I should praise the Lord for the people who ruined my dream? My comments. Ruin his dream. People don't do that. We can only do that to ourselves. We decided how other people's actions will influence us. We decide that. Another man had a dream. He was an inventor. Several men recognized his ingenuity and offered to invest in his ideas. They formed a company with the investor as president. The company prospered. The inventor's ideas worked, but the investors grew impatient. The work wasn't progressing as quickly as they anticipated. They thought the inventor was working hard enough. He spent too much time thinking. Eventually, the investors forced the inventor out of the, of the company and they took over. They even controlled his parents. The inventor's dreams were temporarily interrupted, but he still had his dream and he kept working. His name, Henry Ford. Blessed and happy is the Christian who learns to not to be controlled by what other people say or do. God is in control. God is in control. He permits certain people to come into our lives 
He selects them, the people we need to do what we need to learn. He selects, let me back up a little bit. He permits certain people to come into our lives. He selects them, the people we need to do to us what we need in order to force us into the position where we can learn God's will. If that sounds strange to you, remember Joseph, he needed to be in Egypt to do the work God called him to do. Therefore, God uses his evil-hearted brothers to sell him into slavery. Does God work as intimately with all his children? He says he knows the number of hairs in our head. He knows when a sparrow falls. He knows every thought we have. Therefore, God uses evil-hearted brothers to sell him into slavery. Does God work as intimately with all his children? He says he knows the number of our hairs in our head. He knows when a sparrow falls. He knows every thought we have. Oh, yes, he is involved in every detail. When we understand that, we are free. Whatever any man or woman does to us, it will work for our good if we love God. Some readers of this book have been carrying an ache in their heart over something someone else has done to them. They may have been hurting for years. Now is this is their opportunity to be free. Believe God. Believe God permitted that person to do the thing to you that you might now learn how to submit your heart to God. If we allow other people to trouble our heart, we are indirectly disobedience to his will. Why not enjoy obedience? Let us examine our ways and test them. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Every morning. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The word of the Lord.